Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Unearthed is produced together with the National Library Board and is recorded on Audio-Technica mics. Unearthed, Episode 1 Southeast Asians love horror. We know that's not necessarily unique to this region, but we also feel that our terrifying myths inspire an arguably unparalleled fascination and devotion in countries like Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Brunei, and the Philippines. They're not just scary ghost stories. They're a part of our culture. And unearthed, we want to explore some of the history of our favorite creatures and spirits. Now, this is far from a comprehensive exploration. However, if you've ever wanted to take a peek beyond the veil of the ordinary, allow us to help you pull that curtain aside. And we'll start with a spirit that's practically synonymous with Southeast Asian horror. Arthur's heart beat like a drum. He ran and he ran until he felt like his legs would give out. Until he felt like his lungs were on fire and that his chest was about to explode. And then he ran some more. No matter how fast he sprinted through his neighborhood, however, he couldn't escape that sickeningly sweet scent, the hauntingly fragrant smell of frangipani followed him everywhere. His ragged breath and footsteps echoed all through the empty void decks. He raced up the flats, flights of stairs, and slammed his fists against the doors. He pleaded for someone, anyone, to let him in, to give him shelter, to save him from his doom. But no one came to his rescue. All hope was gone. It was inevitable. As Arthur heard the faint tell-tale wail of what sounded like a baby's cries, he knew that tonight, the Pontianak would get its kill. Part 1. The History of the Pontianak also known as the Kuntil Anak in Indonesia, the Pontianak, a spirit that's still spoken of in hushed whispers by both old and young, has evolved over time. And she has certainly been around for a long time. How long? Well, 
legend has it that the capital city of West Kalimantan earned the name Pontianak when its founder, Sharif Abdurrahman Al-Qadri, and his followers fought off a whole army of the spirits all the way back in 1771. But what are Pontianaks? In the author's note to his 2004 short story collection, Curse of the Pontianak, Ralph Mader describes Pontianaks as, quote, the spirits of women who had died in childbirth and were jealous of pregnant women whom they killed, end quote. Many tales of the Pontianak have her in a blood-stained white dress. She's known to have long, straight black hair, and her arrival is normally preceded by the smell of the frangipane flower and a cry that sounds just like a baby's wail. Modern details how they're often also thought of as, quote, large birds with grotesque women's faces, long tresses covering their black feathers, end quote. But this might be a much more modern idea than people realize. A little over just a century ago, in the year 1900, English anthropologist Walter W. Skeet wrote about how the Pontianak's quote, embodiment is that of its mother, a kind of night owl, end quote, in his book, Malay Magic, being an introduction to the folklore and popular religion of the Malay Peninsula. So, who was the Pontianak's mother? She was another spirit, of course, but one that you might not be as familiar with. Langsuer. Moda's description of Pontianak's as the spirits of women who had died in childbirth is incredibly similar to how Dr. John D. Gimlet described the Langsuer in his 1924 book, Malay Poisons and Charm Cures. The Langsuer, Gimlet wrote, is, quote, the terrible vampire in the guise of an owl that haunts the nursery and sucks the blood of infants and women in childbed out of revenge of her own origin in the lying-in room, end quote. The Pontiana, as it turns out, was not always the jealous spirit of a woman who died tragically, but the child of one. Or, as Skeet wrote back in 1900, Quote, the Pontiana, or Matiana, is the stillborn child of the Langsuer. But time has a way of reshaping all of our myths. And as the years went on, the lines between the Pontiana and her mother began to blur. Their quote, origins and habits are so alike that even the most erudite Pomo is apt to be confused between the two. End quote. That's what Pelham Groom wrote in a 1957 article for the Singapore Free Press. Arthur turned a corner on the fourth floor of this old, seemingly unoccupied flat. A dead end. Spinning around frantically, he discovered much to his horror, that his only exit was blocked, bathed in the full moon's soft glow and the harsh, flickering fluorescent lights of the flat's corridors, was a woman. 
Her face was partially obscured by her long black hair. Arthur, however, couldn't help but notice how appealing her features were, even as he remained frozen in terror. But then his attention was drawn to her plain white dress. Down the front of it was a dark brown stain of dried blood. The smell of frangipani was gone, replaced instead by the stench of rotting flesh. Arthur's eyes darted around, desperately searching for an escape, but the woman pulled his focus right back. She didn't move. She didn't utter a word. She just let out a growl, a guttural, hungry growl. Part 2. Beware her vengeance and her claws. Much like her origins, how the Pontiana strikes, and even whom she preys upon, has changed throughout the years. The most persistent belief is that she goes after pregnant women. And, even though the Pontiana has sometimes been compared to vampires, particularly the more western idea of vampires, the way she kills tends to be far more visceral. In his 1981 book, An Analysis of Malay Magic, Professor Kirk Michael Endicott wrote, quote, The Pontianak may drive her long claws into the body of the expectant mother, killing her and the unborn child. End quote. In 2004, Ralph Modder also wrote that, consistent with their bird-like features, Pontianats had, quote, sharp claws with which they disemboweled their victims, end quote. At this point, it's worth addressing all the men listening in who are starting to think that they might be safe. Don't get too comfortable just yet, fellas. While it certainly seems like mothers-to-be are their victims of choice, Modder also says that the Pontianaks could, quote, appear as irresistible women who deprive men, who abused women, of their manhood, end quote. But where does this idea that the Pontiana also attacks men come from? After all, while her envy of pregnant women is consistent with her origins, preying on guys seems a little out of character for her. The Pontiana, it appears, just can't escape comparisons with her mother. In the aforementioned article for the Singapore Free Press, Pelham Groom wrote that, quote, It is the Langsuyer who preys on men, while the Pontiana confines her diet to the blood of young children. End quote. Once again, the myths of these two spirits seem to have become intertwined over the decades. These days, however, one simple belief has endured. No one is safe from the Pontiana. Fear gave way to anger. Arthur took a deep breath and steadied himself. Standing firm, 
he yelled at the woman before him. You think I'm scared of you? Huh? He challenged, barely keeping his voice level. You think I didn't come prepared? The Pontianak seemed unfazed at first. She remained completely still and continued to unwaveringly glare at him. But then, Arthur fished out an ordinary cloth pouch from his back pocket. Her growls began to deepen. From within the pouch, Arthur pulled out a plain, long nail. The Pontianak recoiled, her eyes growing wider with dread. Her ferocious growls turned into skittish snarls. That's right, Arthur said, his tone dripping with arrogance as he advanced towards her. Not so tough now, are you? The spirit backed away from him a little more. Then, before Arthur could comprehend what was happening, she suddenly leapt forward with speed that defied logic, with her razor-sharp claws poised for attack, and her face contorted in an expression of pure rage. The Pontianak no longer resembled anything even remotely human. Arthur's mask of confidence melted away, and before he could react, the Pontianak slashed at him, leaving three deep gashes along his forearm. The sound of the nail dropping onto the dull, grey concrete floor echoed throughout the corridor, followed by the Pontianak's sinister, triumphant laughter. Part 3. Escape with your life If you're worried about running into a Pontianak, rest assured that like most supernatural creatures and spirits, she too has her weaknesses. Pontianats supposedly have an aversion to sharp objects, and nails in particular are known to be pretty effective. In the 2007 book, Pontianat with Survival Guidelines, Numbai suggests carrying several nails with you to scare the spirit away. Some folks, however, prefer to be extra cautious. Ralph Mader noted, quote, Many Malaysian and Indonesian women are known to protect themselves against Pontiana attacks during pregnancy by attaching cloth pouches containing nails, needles, and razor blades to their undergarments. End quote. If all of that fails to keep a Pontiana at bay, however, Numbai writes that you should, quote, try to strike the nail behind its neck." End quote. Legend has it that by driving a nail into the nape of a Pontianak's neck, you can turn her into an ordinary woman. There are even stories of men settling down with these women who were once Pontianaks, and supposedly enjoying long, happy marriages. We personally think Tinder is a safer option, but that's just us. 
of course, if you'd rather totally steer clear of them. Many accounts suggest that Pontianats dwell in banana trees and only appear during a full moon. So, if you do find yourself out and about on such an ominous evening, you'd be advised to stay away from those trees altogether. Or any particularly forested areas, for that matter. It's also a pretty common practice to not speak of these spirits after nightfall. If you do have to talk about the Pontiana, some people choose to simply refer to her by the harmless nickname Miss P, so as not to catch her attention. Then, of course, there are practices that prevent the creation of new Pontianats. Like many of our otherworldly brethren, the Pontianat haunts the living because she is unable to truly rest in peace. To ensure that a woman doesn't return from the grave, Numbai writes that you should, quote, make sure both mother and child are buried together. They should not be separated, or the deceased mother could come back as a Pontiana, looking for her lost child, end quote. Moreover, just to be safe, Numbai also advises that you should, quote, place a few nails with the corpse. Pins or needles, gold preferably, should be placed underneath each fingernail as an added measure, end quote. The Singapore Free Press article from 1957 also talks about how, quote, in certain parts of Malaya, it is still the practice to write certain letters on a woman's fingernails if she died through that unfortunate reason. For it is only by having those letters on her hands that she can be certain of being saved from turning into a Pontiana. End quote. The number of precautionary and protective measures that a spirit inspires is certainly one way to tell how great an impact it has left upon its native cultures. Going by that metric alone, you can see why we think the Pontiana represents Southeast Asian horror so perfectly. Arthur kicked and screamed as the Pontianak slashed viciously at him. Her claws left more gashes along his arms, as well as across his chest, legs, and face. Had Arthur not brandished that nail at her, she might have made his death quick one. His crime was severe, and her punishment, though swifter than he deserved, was fair. But he had threatened her. After everything he had done, he dared to threaten her. So she let him go. She let him run. A mercy, Arthur might have thought, or luck or even a belief in his own strength. Little did he suspect, though, that the Pontianak did the worst possible thing she could have done. She gave him hope. Hope that he even had a chance to escape her vengeance on this night. The Pontianak hadn't toyed 
with a victim for a long time. As Arthur ran back down the nearest flight of stairs, his heart beating so loud that she could practically hear it, practically smell the blood pumping through his veins, the hunger in her grew, and a grin spread across her face. Run, she whispered. Run, little man. Part 4 Terror on the Big Screen and Beyond The Pontianak would have persevered no matter what. If all she had were the oral retellings of her exploits, that alone would have been enough to help her legend grow with each passing year. But halfway through the 20th century, everything changed for her. Coinciding with that year's Hari Raya Puasa celebrations, Pontiana, a film directed by B. N. Rao and written by Abdul Razak for Cathay Curis Productions, premiered on the 27th of April, 1957, at the Cathay Cinema. According to a Straits Times article, by Susan Berry from around a week after the movie's premiere. Pontiana is about a hag that discovers a spell which allows her to transform into a beauty. The article goes on to say that, quote, as usual, there is a catch to the magic because if she tastes human blood, she will change into a vampire. The worst happens and the rest of the film tells the story of her gruesome career until the demon is exorcised and she is returned to her original ugliness. End quote. The movie was an unequivocal smash hit, finding an audience not just within the local Malay community, but amongst the Chinese and Indian communities as well, a first for a Malay language film. The film was praised for among other things, the cast performance and the visual effects, particularly the Pontianat's makeup, which another 1957 Singapore Free Press article by Pelham Groom declared was a masterpiece. Pontianat was such a huge success that its scheduled two-day run at the Cathay quickly turned into a two-month run at major cinemas. The film's lead actress, Maria Manado, earned an award for outstanding performance in her role as the titular character. And it was even dubbed in Cantonese for release in Hong Kong and English for American television. The film would have no doubt become a classic. But when its original reels were lost forever, it was elevated to legendary status. It seemed that the production company's partners had had a falling out. One of the partners, Ho Aluk, eventually gained the rights to the film, but by that time, Manado was married to the Sultan of Pahang. So, all subsequent screenings were bad. Ho, frustrated with the whole situation, had apparently tossed the reels down a mining pool. 
In 2007, Manado said in an interview, quote, I didn't even bother to ask him which mining pool he had thrown them into. It was just pointless. I was so angry and sad as all my hard work had gone to waste. Those were the movies that depicted my youth and talent. It was supposed to be passed down to my children and grandchildren as heritage. End quote. As tragic as that loss was, however, the greater cultural impact of Pontianak goes well beyond the film itself. It arguably set the stage for a whole horror film subgenre in Malaysia and Singapore. Pontianak spawned two sequels for Cathy Caris. Dandam Pontianak, or Revenge of the Pontianak, also released in 1957, and Sumpa Pontianak, or Curse of the Pontiana in 1958, the latter of which was the first local widescreen film. Not to be outdone, another production company, Shaw Brothers, produced their own trilogy of Pontiana films, Anak Pontiana or Son of Pontiana in 1958, Pontiana Kambali or The Pontiana Returns in 1963, and Pusaka Pontiana, or The Pontiana Legacy, in 1965. The Pontiana continued to terrorize cinema goers in the decades that followed in films like Rao's Pontiana Guam Musang, or The Pontiana of the Cave, in 1964, Roger Stutton's Pontiana, in 1975, Yusuf Kalara's horror comedy. Pontianak Manjirit in 2005, and Rizal Mantovani's Kuntil Anak in 2018. Though her cinematic golden years were arguably during the 1950s and 1960s, every time she makes her return to the big screen, it's met at the very least with interest and, at its best, with acclaim. Take 2019's Revenge of the Pontianak, written and directed by Glenn Gui and Gavin Yap. The Straits Times praised its storytelling techniques as ambitious. Time Out hailed it as a visual dream. And the new paper called it riveting and gorgeously shot. The Pontiana has also found her way into popular culture at large, through a number of other mediums. She appeared in 2014's independently developed Indonesian survival game, Dreadout, and will be part of another upcoming indie release, the action RPG Ghost Lore. In 2018, she took center stage in an episode of the HBO Asia anthology series, Folklore, directed by Eric Koo and written by author Amanda Lee Koh. That same year, Vice examined the Pontiana in a feminist light in an article by Nisa Creams, aptly titled Southeast Asia's Vengeful Man-Eating Spirit is a Feminist Icon. The article talks about how, quote, the Pontiana's fearsomeness is linked to her femininity, a concept that feminist theorist Barbara Creed calls the monstrous feminine. The Pontiana appears fragile, but is ferocious when provoked, end quote. 
author Charlene Teo reinforced that point of view, adding, quote, The Pontianak mimics vulnerability and seeming gentility through her high-pitched baby cries and frangy penny scent. But try and take advantage of her, and she'll suck your eyeballs out. End quote. Tio's 2018 book, Ponti, is inspired by the spirit's myth. In fact, Pontianaks continue to be a source of inspiration for many writers, such as Hugo Award winner Zen Cho and Epigram Book Prize winner Mihan Boy. Considering her rich history, even before she graced the big screen and beyond, it's not really that surprising that the Pontianak stories would make their way across different decades, different countries, and different storytelling mediums. And the inverse is likewise true. As the aforementioned 1957 Straits Times article put it, movies like Pontianak, quote, form a link with the old Malaya and keep its rich traditions alive, end quote. The same could be said for all the video games, television shows, and books that followed. The Pontianak remained perched upon a branch and watched as Arthur breathed a sigh of relief after racing past several flats across a couple of mostly quiet junctions and through around half of this dimly lit neighborhood park, he seemed to think that he'd finally lost her. He even started chuckling to himself, relishing his supposed victory. The Pontianak decided that she had toyed with him long enough. She took one last moment to enjoy the loud beating of his heart as her prey leaned forward to catch his breath and she leapt down from her perch, her white dress flapping in the wind like the mighty wings of a raptor and landed on the back of the bench just beside Arthur. He didn't have time to scream. Before he even realized she was there, she drove one of her claws straight down to his groin and ripped his manhood from his body, seemingly without any effort at all. She tossed it aside almost immediately, and as he gasped weakly, she made sure that he got a good look at her, made sure that the last thing he saw was the hunger in her eyes. Hunger, not for his blood, but for revenge. She plunged the other claw into his chest and just as easily ripped out his still beating heart. This she eyed a moment longer before disposing of it, sniffing it and inspecting it with an almost childlike fascination. She'd seen so many of these in her time as Pontianak, but she still couldn't understand 
why it meant so much to the woman who called upon her. She might have once, when she was younger, when she was still human, but that time had long since passed. She tossed the heart aside and leapt into the air, leaving behind a faint, sickeningly sweet scent of frangipani. The Pontianak had to make one more visit that night. She flew from tree to tree, shaking their branches ever so imperceptibly that most people would have seen it would have just assumed it was the wind that rustled the leaves. Most people. The older folks still remembered her in her full glory. When banana trees outnumbered office buildings and the fear of her gripped everyone in the kampong. She still enjoyed the ferocity of her hunts. But she had loved their fear. And so much as she could still love, that is. The old folks still didn't dare speak her name once the sun went down. But the younger people thought of her only as stories passed down from their grandparents. As if every story didn't hold some truth to it. But there were young people who still believed, like Lisa, the woman who had called upon her, Arthur's ex-girlfriend. The Pontianak had seen fear in Lisa's eyes, but not of her. This young woman's fear was something far more bitter and poisonous. It was a fear of a man she thought she had loved. The Pontianak had reached her destination. Perched on a tree just outside Lisa's fourth floor flat. She looked in at the woman, no older than 21 and already feeling the weight of the world on her shoulders. Lisa had seemed so happy just a week ago when she went to her boyfriend with the news and she was pregnant. Arthur, however, did not react the way she had hoped. She lost the baby. She lost the man she thought she would spend the rest of her life with. But she found anger. And through that anger, she found the Pontianak. Lisa was sitting on her bed, staring blankly at a wall. The bruise on her left cheek was barely noticeable now. The Pontianak adjusted herself slightly, just enough that it caused the leaves of the tree to rustle a little. Lisa turned to her window, a coldness in her eyes 
that the Pontianak was all too familiar with. The young woman didn't look up at the Pontianak's face. Instead, she just stared at the spirit's white dress, freshly stained bright red with Arthur's blood. The young woman didn't look up at the Pontianak's face. Instead, she just stared at the spirit's white dress, now freshly stained bright red with Arthur's blood. Lisa gave a curt nod and quickly turned away, just as a sob escaped her lips. The Pontianak thought that there might be hope for the young woman yet. Hope that she never had, even when she was young. Silently, she leapt from this tree onto another. And another, away from the tall concrete flats to a place that's growing harder and harder to find. A quiet place where buildings were rare and banana trees were plentiful. Part 5. Stories and Thoughts If you dig through the National Archives of Singapore, you'll find a treasure trove of audio recordings detailing everyday life throughout Singapore's history. Dig even further, and you might find people's stories of the supernatural, including stories of Pontianas. Speaking of those halcyon kampong days, in an interview conducted in 2011, a woman named Madam Hamida Binti Jalil recounted a Pontianak sighting from one of her husband Din's neighbours. Madam Hamida said, quote, In Kampung, there are definitely entities, entities from different spiritual worlds. End quote. She continued, quote, I heard some stories about Pontianak. I heard about Pontianak from the people who were talking, from Din's neighbour, that there was, up above the kampong, there was this lady who wanted to do some washing at night. So, the story came about that she wanted to hang the clothes at night, and she saw a kind of a white figure, long hair, not showing the face, just moving around the trees, end quote. The woman in the story panicked and ran off to get her family, to show them the figure in white floating in the trees. By the time she returned with her family, however, the figure was gone. Madame Hamida, of course, was not surprised to hear stories like this. She said, quote, this kampong is quite an old kampong, you know? End quote. In another interview, conducted in 1984, a man named Awang bin Osman related a somewhat tragic story he had heard about a Pontianak 
returning to her family. Loosely translated from Bahasa Melayu, the story goes that a pregnant woman had died but was survived by her first child and husband. One day, the man went out fishing, but when he returned home, his son told him, Mum was here just now. Shaken, the man replied, How's that possible? She's dead. His son told him that when the woman saw the man returning home, she ran away. Over the next few days, this would happen again and again. Every time, the woman would flee before the man could return. Eventually, the man gave his son a nail and told the boy that when his mother returned, he should ask her whether he could inspect her head for lice. The son was to look for the hole in the back of her neck and insert the nail. The next time the men went out, sure enough, the woman returned to see her son. So, the son did exactly as he was told, driving the nail into the hole, the back of her neck. The Pontiana immediately returned to her human form, and the family was reunited. Things seemed to go back to normal for them, at least for a while. But over time, the son forgot entirely about the nail. One day, the mother asked him to inspect her head for lice. While doing so, the son found the nail, having forgotten that he was the one who put it there in the first place. He removed it when his mother asked him to do so. Immediately, the woman transformed back into a Pontiana and fled, leaving the son to explain to his father what had happened. This story, Mr. Awang said, had been passed down to him from previous generations. While the past was certainly a hotbed for stories like these, the present, however, still offers similar sightings. We've all heard them. Either a friend or a friend of a friend had seen her. Maybe you actually caught a glimpse of her too. She might not just be lurking in banana trees near kampongs anymore. We might see her in blocks of flats or dark, secluded corners right in the middle of otherwise bustling cities. After all this time, however, she's still just as recognizable. Frightening, yet oddly comforting in her familiarity. The woman in white with long black hair. To close out this episode, we wanted to talk a little about the Pontiana as creators of a horror podcast ourselves. In the relatively short time that we've been doing this, we've had more than a few people ask us questions about the supernatural in this region. One of our favorites is why are so many of Southeast Asia's spirits and creatures women? 
while the question is speaking of female entities in general, we feel like the first of these entities that comes to everyone's mind is still the Pontianak. And even our answer seems tailor-made for her more than any of our many other spirits and creatures. At the end of the day, it comes back to her origins, whether as, quote, the spirits of women who had died in childbirth, end quote, or even as, quote, the stillborn child of the Lang Suir, end quote. She initially represented death, doom, and fear so effectively, precisely because of her association with their opposites, birth, life, and joy. By extension, she grew to become a dark mirror to the nurturing image with which women have been too broadly painted over time. As the years passed, however, the fear she inspired, like so much about her, evolved. Pontianat's jealousy of, quote, pregnant women whom they killed, end quote, might have been used to demonize those who could not or chose not to start a family. More and more, however, Pontianaks begin to be seen as terrifying harbingers of visceral justice, as women who, quote, deprive men who abused women of their manhood, end quote. As horror storytellers, and as people who just love how much horror is ingrained in our very culture, that's the image of her that we love the most. That's the creature that we want to be synonymous with Southeast Asian horror. That's the Pontiana. If you enjoyed this episode of Unearthed, subscribe or follow us on social media. Search for We Are Hantu. That's W-E-A-R-E-H-A-N-T-U on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We think you might also enjoy our narrative series, Ghost Maps, new episodes of which go online every second and fourth Thursday of the month. If you want more Unearthed, please share this episode on social media and tag us. Your support and word of mouth will be instrumental in keeping this podcast going. Almost all of the books, movies, and newspaper articles mentioned in this episode are available through the National Library Board. Links in the show notes. Once again, this episode of Unearthed is recorded on Audio-Technica mics and is produced together with the generous support of the National Library Board. Hey, 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 